Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. Jeff, good morning to you. Good morning. So Jeff, uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, this is something that's been uh, built up for quite a while, and that is the infrastructure bill, uh, something that's been talked about for really uh, months now. And so we finally uh, see that that was passed. And so, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind, can you talk about just really what is the infrastructure bill looking to accomplish? Well, first, let's kind of take two steps back. It, it has passed the Senate. It has not passed the House yet. So we're still, uh, as, as much as it looks like that should not be an issue, given the fact that the Democrats control uh, the House, it's, it is not uh, 100% in, in place. So just want to throw that out that we don't have the bill completely through, uh, but you know, getting it through the Senate was really uh, the tougher of the two places. And you know, the expectation is that it will go through the House reasonably quickly and then be uh, signed uh, by President Biden. Um, but you know, we're talking about a uh, a compromise that is, you know originally was being talked in the three three and a half trillion dollar range. Uh, what was passed was closer to a trillion. Um, you know, again, it's being uh, presented as a bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill, uh, and you know, the, really, uh, the bigger things, uh, as it, you can kind of guess from uh, the phraseology of it, is that the bill is really going to be geared towards uh, some major infrastructure needs that are, um, you know, that that our country has. Yeah, when when people talk about infrastructure, obviously the thing that comes to mind are your roads, your bridges, and other major projects. Is that really what this is looking to accomplish, or is it broader scope than that? Well, I will say that I have fallen short of reading all 2,702 pages of uh, the bill. Um, I will get to that later today, uh, all jokes aside. Uh, but uh, you know, on the bigger picture uh, highlighting of it, yes, roads and bridges are definitely on the bill. Uh, transit and rail are also a big part of it, but they're also doing things like upgrading broadband. Uh, they're upgrading airports and waterways. Uh, they're putting a, a, almost $8 billion towards um, building out a, um, a national network of charging systems because uh, the, the big push obviously is to get cars from fossil fuels to electric. Uh, so that's a, a major thing there. Uh, there's also things, uh, you know, obviously our power grid has been a major issue. Uh, there's a lot of, um, of money being thrown, about $65 billion towards the electric grid and water systems. There's also um, a little bit of money, not a huge amount, towards environmental remediation. So uh, what we're seeing there is, is capping old orphaned gas wells as well as cleaning up the and reclaiming abandoned mine wastes uh, uh, known as mine tailings. Uh, so there is money being set aside both on a state level as well as a federal level uh, for uh, reclaiming that land and, and uh, cleaning up the environment. Got it. So yeah, quite a few different projects and initiatives there. And um, for those that have been following this bill, probably no surprises in there. A lot of what you just described are things that uh, the Biden administration has been pretty clear on being a high priority, but certainly a, a pretty broad reaching bill nonetheless. When when someone looks at this, and this is uh, one of the questions that I often get, obviously um, these projects sound great, but then there's the, uh, the expense aspect of it. Have there been any proposals as to how they're uh, intending to pay for a bill this large? 
Well, there's there's been a lot of talk of uh, you know different uh, ways of it. I mean, basically, what I've read out of it is that there is uh, definitely you know continued debt that will be built as a result of this. There's obviously uh, several different areas that are being looked at for uh, where some money will come from, but I don't know that it's you know a proven fact that the money will actually be uh, being able to to be uh, pulled in ways that they are writing about at this point. Gotcha. And so for um, individuals and for investors, how should uh, this be received for them? I mean, is this generally considered to be a stimulus and an add to the economy? Is this kind of a takeaway? What do you expect the impact to be? Well, I mean, it's definitely a stimulus. I mean, anytime that you're talking about you know, uh, having government spending money, uh, there is a, it's definitely considered to be a stimulus. What we really need to be looking at though is, I mean, obviously uh, the more that you spend and the more that you're continuing to do these types of things, you run into the issue of continued worry about inflation. And so uh, just having conversations with clients over the last several days, there's been several people that have, have said, okay, great. You know, there's this uh, talk on the Federal Reserve that inflation is transitory. What if it's not? What do we do in that situation? And so really, I mean, there's two answers to that. I mean. Bottom line is, I do believe that it will be transitory. If you look at some of the uh, supply chain issues that have driven the price of specific goods up pretty significantly, and also a real big disconnect when it comes to unemployment and people working in, in specific industries, I mean, our food production has really been impacted. If you look at things like uh, the price of chicken, for example, price of poultry has gone up 60% from pre-COVID numbers. That's not something that I expect, uh, you know, to continue. And I think that you would most likely see that number drop significantly as we see uh, unemployment benefits going away here over the next six weeks. So as we see that hit and what I've been talking to people about with it is, you know, if, we, if people are going back to work and we are spending less money uh, to keep people at home, then we are looking at circumstances where uh, the, the reality behind it is that this should be transitory. But a trillion dollars here, a trillion dollars there, you know, it, it adds up. I mean, I know that sounds really silly to sit there and talk about it in that kind of fashion, but we're fastly approaching a $30 trillion government deficit um, or debt, I should say. And, you know, our deficit is running several trillion a year. So we're adding to that on a regular basis these are things that need to be narrowed. Uh, otherwise, we run very strong risk of a major devaluation in our currency. Yeah, Jeff, and appreciate your comments there. I know this is something that we've talked about time and time again, where it seems like with a lot of these various things, they're all kind of pulling in the same direction, which is um, an inflationary environment and also potentially in the long, uh, I guess in the long term, uh, potential devaluation of the U.S. dollar. It is a serious concern. I mean, and, and really looking at that, I mean, you know, there are several additional risks out there. I mean, we're with the the Delta variant that's going on and this, the continued spread of COVID and and the possibilities of of you know continued mutation. It's it's a it's there's there's lots of concerns to be. This market is not out of the woods by any means. Yeah, and and with regard to that, I know the knee-jerk reaction can sometimes be for people to want to put their money in cash or or throw it under the mattress. And do you mind just sharing your thoughts uh, as to why that's probably not a good idea? Well, I mean, it's it's actually the worst idea you could do. Um, if you're looking at right now, 
we just had CPI numbers come out. They, the CPI uh, July figures are at 5.5%. We haven't seen an inflation rate this high for a while. But the thing you got to keep in mind is these are year-over-year uh, -year numbers uh, going back to, to, to really depressed numbers back in COVID times uh, where we were in lockdown. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, if rates continue to remain where they are, and you're leaving your money in cash and basically getting absolutely nothing out of it, what you're guaranteeing yourself is a 5% loss of purchasing power on an annualized basis. It doesn't sound like much, but if you really kind of put it into perspective, I mean, imagine if I came to you, Jeremy, and said, I've got the most amazing investment in the world for you. You give me a million dollars, and in 10 years' time, I'll give you $500,000 back. That's what you're talking about. It multiplies and it compounds upon itself and it becomes a very, very big issue. Uh, and it's something that you know is kind of this small undercurrent. I mean, if we're sitting on $30 trillion of debt, the government can much easily, you know, can, ease to, can pay it off in a much more easy fashion if the dollar's worth 50 cents. So if they allow for inflation to run uh, and the value of the dollar continues to deteriorate, then they're paying off 15 trillion in today's dollars, not 30. So what you have to do in that situation uh, as an investor is to grow your money. You need to be you know, taking your, your dollar and making it into two so that if the government decides that they're going to continue to deflate your dollar and your dollars now were 50 cents on the dollar, so two would become one and you're back at least in the same place that you were today combating inflation. Now, during the 50s, 60s, and 70s into early 80s, the stock market, while it had slightly lower performance uh, than in the 90s or the 80s, 90s, and aughts, um, the performance wasn't dramatically different on the, fix, uh, on the stock market side. So you've got to think bigger picture of getting your money to work, getting your money to work in areas that will be taking advantage of the government spending money. And you know, getting a, a boost in the value of your portfolio so you can offset the inflation issues. Yeah, Jeff. Well, thank you for walking through that examples, um, especially when you look at it over a 10-year time frame. I mean, five percent inflation doesn't sound all that uh, bad until you think about what that means over a 10-year period. And literally half of the purchasing power wiped out if inflation uh, stays at this. I mean, that's a, a dramatic impact and something that uh, shouldn't be taken lightly. So kind of taking the other side, so you've talked about where people shouldn't really be invested. Um, and I guess to make this a little bit more fun, let's look at it in the context of the infrastructure bill. What are some of the opportunities and some of the areas that may be attractive given the spending and, and some of the macro pressures that we're seeing? Well, I mean, the first thing that jumps out pretty easily is, is talking about going into industrials. If there's going to be a lot of money spent on things like roadways and railways and other things of that nature, you know, your your easiest and bottom line would be something at uh, within the industrial space. You know, if you're looking beyond that, materials would make a tremendous amount of sense. So the other thing that you want to be looking at is where efficiencies are going to be uh, created as a result of it. So, you know, if we're talking broadband, there's going to be technology elements to that. If you're talking about money being spent on uh, upgrading our electric uh, grid system, again, there's going to be technology that's tied into some of these things. Same thing with the, uh, the electric uh, recharging stations. Uh, I mean, so what you want to do is, is kind of take a 30,000 foot level 
and then kind of dig into each of the different areas and see how much money is being spent there and then how you perceive that money being spent in order to be able to kind of take advantage of those types of things. So, you know, is a steel company going to do better? Uh, well, if they make rebar, probably if they're going to be rebuilding, uh, you know, bridges and other things, you're going to need that kind of stuff. Uh, concrete companies, uh, you might even want to look uh, at the rails and, and, you know, some of the other, you know, heavy lifting and equipment companies. So those are all things that should benefit quite well. So materials and industrials, Technology uh, would be, you know, all areas of the market that I would think uh, would would fare very well, uh, given what's uh, going on directly there. Yeah. So what's really exciting about that is, uh, and you talked about in uh, previous podcasts that there's different waves um, that happen with uh, something like the pandemic, and then you also get different waves due to uh, just different uh, political initiatives. So this being one of them, and so it should open up some nice opportunities for investors. And Jeff, do you mind uh, just giving kind of an overall forecast of just what you expect to see for the second half of this year? And I recognize we're already a little bit into it, but what uh, what are you foreseeing uh, will likely shape up uh, through December? Well, I mean, summertime is always a harder one uh, for the market. So uh, the fact that we've had kind of a little bit of a lull in the markets uh, really is not surprising. I've had a, a few clients kind of commenting on, well, you know, my accounts really haven't done much. I'm like, well, we kind of did a full year's worth of work in the first couple months of the year. Uh, Value-oriented uh, investments have not done all that well. And then if you're looking at uh, really um, the breadth of the market has been kind of flat since the beginning of May. So we really haven't seen much uh, there. I think a lot of it was you know, the market's digesting uh, the, the first run of the year. And, and obviously, uh, the massive recovery that we saw in a very quick recovery uh, after our uh, complete economic shutdown. So earnings expectations are huge. I mean, we've obviously had a lot of stimulus that's already been thrown at the markets. We have a new budget that's uh, going in front of Congress uh, right now as well. So, I mean, it, to me, I look at it and say, you don't fight the Fed, and you don't fight the tape. Right now, uh, with everything that we're looking at from a, um, a, a larger projection of, of Fed funds rates, we're still not seeing much movement at all with regard to Fed funds rates. And so when we're looking at it from this kind of perspective, uh, as we speak right now, there's a 100% probability on the Fed futures that no rate will be moved this year. And if you're going all the way out to July's meeting of next year, it's still a 75% chance of uh, the markets remaining where they are. And it really doesn't get it until you get out into uh, 2023, where the numbers really got to get skewed towards uh, having um, a, a material movement. So our expectation is, you know, again, a very accommodating Fed, which is a very positive thing. Uh, we have a market that's generally going up. Again, you want to keep in front of that. The, the unfortunate part of the markets is the, uh, over the last, you know, basically two months as we've seen growth-oriented companies being the ones that are are pushing the market up and pushing valuations uh, uh, even higher. So we've seen, you know, again, something where uh, the the valuations get a little scary. Although when you're looking at a riskless valuation and Fed funds rates at zero, uh, the market should be priced accordingly. So it's not really that surprising. With what their where their expectations are for earnings through the rest of the year, and really looking at what uh, what should be going on next year, 
we expect a very strong fall. Um, we have seen very little volatility in this market. I know it doesn't necessarily always feel that way, but it's true. And looking at it, we have not had a 5% pullback this year. It's only happened 14 times since uh, you know, our modern era of investing post-World War II. And uh, of those 14, 13 of those times were very positive uh, second halves of the year. Uh, only 1986 was a slight negative, um, and we just don't see that being in the cards. The average return on the second half after you've had as little volatility as we've experienced is about a 10% return uh, to the positive. So uh, we're expecting uh, pretty good things. I mean, again, if you're looking at uh, how the markets price things in, they're going to be looking out a year, and if the earnings expectations for 2022 are strong, uh, I think that we still, I think we finished the year strong, and I think that we uh, begin 2022 on a strong basis. So it would be pretty exciting to sit there and, and see that happen. Yeah, and Jeff, I appreciate your comments on the earnings. I don't think that's something that can be understated. And I know um, when we were in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, the hope was that maybe we get back to where we were pre-pandemic this year. And not only did we do that, but we've blown way past that. And so when people talk about the market being at all-time highs and how it's going to pull back because it's our, all artificial, I think what's really missing from that conversation is the fact that companies were able to do really good things um, it, when it uh, regards to earnings with all the stimulus and they were given a chance to reshuffle. And I don't think that's something that should be uh, overlooked because it's uh, been pretty dramatic. Well, one of the things you brought up, Jeremy, about uh, you know people sitting in cash and their natural reaction, you know, if they are sitting in cash, one of the biggest things that I constantly hear is I'm going to wait for a pullback. You know, when's the, when's the, the, when, when I see a 10% or more pullback, I'm going to uh, put my money to work couple things with regard to that though. Number one, it's not human inclination to sit there and put that money to work then. You, most people are scared about it and they won't put their money to work and then the markets are moving up. I had somebody even talking about, well, you know, what about a 5% move? Well, if you're looking at a 5% move, you know, first and foremost, you need a market to start moving down in order for you to understand that it's no longer moving up. I know that's kind of a no-brainer, but you need a market moving negative. So if you're looking at trying to avoid a 5% correction or looking to put money to work uh, with one, it's very, very, very challenging because, oh, by the way, you're not going to make any kind of move until it's moved 1% or 2%. Uh, then you wait for the bottom. The bottom happens. When the markets rebound, they're going to rebound 1% or 2% before you're going to put your money to work. So you're really, you know, basically trying to avoid a 1% differential between where you'd get out, where you possibly could get back in if you're looking at it that way. But the nature here is, you know, again, look at the beginning of, of this year. The stock market was at, you know, S&P 500 was at approximately 3,700. So if you're saying, I'm waiting for a 10% correction, I'm waiting for a 10% correction, great. The S&P 500 is now at 4,400, 44, almost 4,450. So if you got a 10% correction from here, let's just do simple math and say we lost 400 points on the S&P. Great, you're now down to 4,000. You've still missed out on a 300-point move on the S&P 500, all waiting around to put your money to work. It just doesn't make any sense. So the bottom line behind it is I would just say, put your money to work. Get at least half of it to work if you're sitting on cash. And then the rest of it, put in incrementally. And as we've talked about before, you won't be wrong. If, if, if the markets go up, you've got at least 50% of your money working for you, which you didn't have before. If the markets pull back, great. Now you can put that other 50% to work but just do it incrementally. Yeah, and, and Jeff, I love that because uh, when you have a discipline like that, you're taking a lot of the guesswork out of it to where you're gonna be right either way. Either the market keeps climbing and you got half of it to work. The market 
eventually falls and you got half of it to work. And so you're really hedging yourself to where uh, you benefit either way. Yeah, and most effective strategies are trying to accomplish that where you're not trying to uh, magically predict or know where it's going, but that you're correctly positioned no matter what the market throws at you. So as always, Jeff, really appreciate your uh, expertise and your insights with regard to the uh, infrastructure bill and also just uh, the market in general and some of the uh, upcoming trends that are heading our way. Oh, my pleasure. So and to all of our listeners, as always, appreciate your time. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.